you would turn with me, your copy of God's Word will be in Revelation chapter 3 this morning, continuing our series in the, the book of Revelation, talking about the letters to the seven churches. And this morning again, Revelation chapter 3, um, we'll start in verse 1. In um, 1964, some families were sent out from a church uh, called First Baptist Church of Clarendon Hills, and they went out to begin a new work and um, in the place that was then known as Colonial Village. They held their first Sunday service uh, with Sunday school and worship on November 15th of 1964 at the Northview School. They had about 21 in Sunday school and 32 in worship on that day. The church plant uh, at that point was known as Colonial Village Baptist Mission. And then on June 1st, 1965, Victor Pedum was, uh, he began serving as the first mission pastor of that particular church plant. A year later, Attendance had grown from the 20s and 30s to the 90s in Sunday school and worship. So what a blessing that was to see such great growth in this new church plant. In July of 1966, five acres were uh, purchased through a loan on uh, a little known street crawl Briarcliff. And that cost them $17,500, and $17,500. Um, man, it would be nice to buy five anchors for that <laughs> today, right? Uh, then on May 21st, 1967, this missional church was constituted as First Baptist Church of Bolingbrook. And they started with 65 charter members. How amazing is that. By December of 1969, the membership have grown to the 150s. So what a, a start they had and continue to grow along the way. This 155 members that were excited and on fire for what the Lord was doing, not only for them individually, but for this new village called Bolingbrook. 1976, uh, Alvin Johnson was called to serve as pastor, and he soon commissioned a few expansions on the building that led to uh, various things, the, the educational wing and so on and so forth. There was a couple additions there, um, all of those being completed in 1993. After Pastor Johnson, Pastors John Skance, Brandon Holisky, and Robert Strong faithfully served First Baptist Church, Bolingbrook, before I was called here in May 6th of 2018. For me, it's an honor and a privilege to be able to look back on our 55-year history and be included as uh, being one to serve here with you and God's people. It's, it's cool just to look back on uh, something that began just as uh, something in someone's mind, something that, that God planted in somebody's heart that was talked about and, and uh, proliferated throughout First Baptist of Clarendon Hills and people raised their hands to go and do this new thing. 
I, I wonder if they thought we would still be here 55 years later. I wonder as they, they planted that church and just so excited for what God was doing, I wonder what their thoughts would be and how far in the future they were looking. Because I tell you what, to be able to look back and just be grateful for what they did, that brings us all here together today. You know, had it not been for those charter members coming out, being obedient to what God was doing in their lives, it's because of them that we're here today, continuing on to serve God in a similar fashion. But I wonder if we still have that same fire. I wonder if we still have the same love for God that they did. I wonder if if we have the same obedience that those charter members had to go out and do a new thing. I wonder if God called us to do something that was above and beyond what we think or expected, something that was uncomfortable for us. I wonder if we would have the same fervor to reach out and do what those folks did from First Baptist Clarendon Hills. I wonder if we have the same love for the community. There was a reason that they were able to grow in membership. Can you imagine 155 people in this room? Do something for, look around and imagine, no, for real, look around and imagine what that would look like to have 155 people in this room here this morning. Imagine what our worship would look like if we had uh, people just on fire for the Lord and what he was doing and just being so grateful that we were able to make it here, that they couldn't contain themselves. Uh, Imagine for a minute that people would be so excited to have a place to come and worship that they, they, as soon as they left here, they, they couldn't stop from telling other people about it, about the wonderful time that they had at worship and that they would seek out other people and, and understand where they are spiritually and say, well, if you don't have a church home, I, I, come with me next week. I'll come pick you up. Because the worship that we have and, and our time and prayer and the acknowledgement of who God is and what he's doing is unmatched. I wonder what that would be like. I believe this morning as we look at a letter to one of these churches here in Revelation, I can't help but see some similarities. As I was working through this and praying on this text all week, man, and just... I mean, it brought me to tears several times. Just looking at this church and seeing where they are and seeing ourselves in the church. Revelation 3, we'll start here in verse 1. Here, guys, were a reason the angels of the Lord, uh, the angels of the church of Sardis wrote, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains 
and is about to die, for I have not found your works completely in, uh, in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come to you like a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come against you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot out his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a wake-up call we have here today, something that not only the Church of Sardis needed at the time, but I would also say a word that we need to hear today. Father, just uh, this reading in this letter, I just hear you, you calling us and shaking us out of our slumber, asking us who are here today, wake up. And I pray that we would heed your warning, that we would take the example that you laid for us and that we would uh, here be awakened here this morning and go out of this building on fire. Lord, speak to us through your word. Transform our minds and hearts so that we can work for you, that we can uh, uh, hold your name up on high, that people would be able to know the name of Jesus because of what you've done for us. Father, hide me behind the cross so people might see more of you and less of me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. My Lord, my strength and my redeemer in whom I trust. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. So here we are with a letter to the church in Sardis. Now, Sardis was an ancient city, and they were about 30 to 40 miles southeast of Thyatira, the church that we talked about last week. The city sat on top of a hill, and so they were kind of insulated from being attacked and being taken over and things of that nature. They were safe from armies that would would seek to take over their particular city. And so um, because of that and other things that they had going for them, Sardis, they, they had it they had it all right. They were pretty wealthy because of the uh, Pactolus River, which was filled with gold. I don't know if you heard this uh, about the Midas Touch. Anybody familiar with the Midas Touch? Uh, if you don't mind, let me, let me take you on a, a brief side quest, and I want to tell you a little bit about that. Uh, the Midas Touch is a saying that is used to describe the ability to make everything that someone uh, is involved with become successful. We might say um, he has um, the, this, this, this knack about them that whatever they touch turns to gold. This comes from a story in Greek mythology where a person named King Midas asked a, a Greek god named Dionysus to grant his wish that everything that he would touch would turn to gold. Now, he was very excited when he had his wish granted to him. He, he went and touched a chair. 
he went and touched his, his nightstand and they turned to gold. He's like, oh, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to have all the riches that I could ever dream or imagine because I have this touch that whatever I touch turns to gold. But he ran into an issue when he got hungry. He picks up a grape and before he could get it in his mouth, it turned to gold. What am I going to do with that? How, how am I going to eat? You might have seen some pie eating contests where you have your hands behind your back. I imagine that's what he had to do in order to eat. But this came to a head when his daughter came into the room. He, she had been away, he loved her and missed her, and he couldn't help himself. He reached out and hugged her, and she turned to gold. It was at that point he realized this is more of a curse than it is a blessing because I'm not able to enjoy the things I usually enjoy, the things that I love. I'm hurting the people that are closest to me. So he goes back to Dionysus and said, uh, hey, can you reverse this? Like, it's not really working out. I have some buyer's remorse. What can we do about it? So Dionysus felt sorry for him and told him to go wash his hands in the river. And as he's washing his hands, gold is just flying out of his hands into the river. So he was poured out of all the gold in his body and it went into this river. And he, after he did that, it became normal again. Everything that he had touched turned back to normal. So kind of no harm, no foul at the end of the day. But the, the goal, the purpose of this story is to talk about how greed manages us and how it takes over us and, and blinds us to what's really important. So that's what we see through um, this, the story of King Midas. But why do I bring this up in the midst of this? You might be wondering because this, this uh, story is based on the, um, this the river right here, this Pactolus River is what was filled with gold around Sardis. And that's where this, this Greek mythical story came out of. So that's the tie-in here. So thanks for indulging me as we go on that, that short side quest. But I thought that was interesting. This letter here uh, to the church of Sardis, it starts with this figurative description of Jesus as he holds seven spirits and seven stars referring to his omnipresence, his authority and power, um, as well as the angels of the churches. And he says, even though this church looks to be alive, they're up and doing things and they're active, they're actually spiritually dead. You're, you're like zombies walking around uh, doing whatever it is that you do, but in actuality, inside, and out, you are dead. Their lethargy and their deadness is a result of sinful behaviors and worldly attitudes. Uh, they went to check the box and like, well, we've always gone to church and we've always done these programs. We're just going to keep doing those things because those things are good, but their heart wasn't connected to them. They were just following on doing what they've always done. There's a general apathy where people aren't committed to growing spiritually. There's a, a lack of discipleship that's taking place. There's a lack of love and commitment to their community. And while even these members profess faith in Jesus, the reality is their hearts are far from them. 
Their hearts are not uh, uh, such that they are doing everything they can to follow Jesus and, and look and, and see the errors of their own ways. This church is just going through the motions, doing whatever, for whatever reason. And Jesus comes to them and says, wake up. Wake up. This is the fifth of the seven letters to Revelation. Here in this letter, I want you to notice there, there's no persecution in Sardis like we saw in Smyrna. Smyrna was con continuously being persecuted and they had to protect against that. You would notice here in this letter, there is no false teaching like we saw in Pergamum where they, Pergamon was doing all the, the, the right things. They were alive, but they left false teachers in to lead them astray. We don't see any of that in Sardis. And in fact, I really want you to key in, key in on this. This is, this is really telling. Because of the state that the church of Sardis was in, Satan didn't even consider Sardis worthy of spiritual assault. Satan looked at this church and like, <laughs> they're doing bad all by themselves. I don't need to do anything here. Like I'm going to focus somewhere else because they're, 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 they're doing all right going the way I would have them go anyway. Man, imagine, they're not even worthy of Satan's attacks. Verse two says, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know what hour I will come against you. Jesus is telling the church that they need to abandon their sinful and worldly behaviors and live a godly, pure life. They didn't have all the distractions that we have today. I mean, we got Netflix, we got Twitter and TikTok and cable and, you know, we could do whatever it is we want. We can go out to, to the park district and be walking around. We got bars and clubs and restaurants. We got so much that is dis distracting us, but the, the Church of Sardis didn't have a, a, a fraction of those things. But yeah, still, even they were sidetracked. They were distracted from what was important. We see the same instruction in the book of Romans, Romans 13 and 11. It says, beside this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Or Ephesians 5 and 14, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, I say, awake, O sleeper, Arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as an unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the day, 
Let, let me go back. It says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully how you walk. Not as an unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of Lord Jesus Christ. Man, I, I could just leave. I mean, that says it all. That hits every heart of the matter that we deal with today. Walking around happy-go-lucky like nothing matters. I'll get to the Bible tomorrow. I didn't have time to pray today. Oh, I see somebody in need, but I don't have time. I got to get to the next meeting. I'm worried, you know, that something untoward might happen. I'm not putting myself in harm's way. There's somebody else to take care of it. Since these folks had abandoned their good work and fallen asleep on the job, Jesus called them to strengthen what's left. Like, look, <laughs> You guys have gone down the path and left all these things undone, but there's still some good. Work on that. Strengthen that, what is left. They need to remember the Holy Spirit that they received and the gospel message they heard. You remember when you first heard the gospel and it clicked for you and you understood who Jesus is and what he's done for you? how that transformation took place and you just excited on the fire. Time has passed and we've, we've forgotten that feeling. We've forgotten what God has, has saved us from. And, and the most dangerous part is some of us think we deserve what God has given us. And we, we forget that everything we have is because of his grace because of his mercy. We need to remember the Holy Spirit that we received in the gospel message that we've heard. As Jesus said to the church of Sardis, if they don't wake up, Jesus will come like a thief in the night when they least expect it. That should sound familiar to us. Sure it sounded familiar to them at the time. Matthew 24 and 43 says, but know this, you, you know, it's got to be something important. Like, you, you know they're about to go in. It's like, hey, let me tell you something. Hey, but know this. Pay attention to what I'm about to say. That if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Or 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5 and 2. For you are yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, uh, there is peace and security. We're, we're good. We're fine. Then all of a sudden, destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for the, the day that surprised you like a thief. For you all, children of light, children of the day, we are not of the night or of the dark darkness. So then let us not 
sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we all belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for the helmet of hope and salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but obtained salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. One more, Second Peter 3 and 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Brothers and sisters, like a a thief who breaks into a house that takes the sleeping, sleeping occupants by surprise, those who don't follow Christ as well as those people who are falling asleep, Those Christians who are asleep on the job will be surprised and caught off guard when Jesus returns. I often like to say, um, you don't have to get ready if you stay ready. And so it's not like you're going to try to, because if we know when Jesus is going to come, what will we do? Okay, Jesus is going to come on Saturday, so... Um, I, I can do this, this, and this. And, and then Friday night, I'll, I'll, man, it's gonna, I'm going to straighten it all up and be ready. I'm going to do all the dirt I can do, but straighten it all up and ask for forgiveness just, just in time for Jesus to come. Jesus is going to catch you slipping. We got to be ready. We've got to be awake. We got to be sober just like sitting on the edge of our seat. I love in the book of Acts, when, when Jesus had ascended, they, they thought any minute now he's going to come. He said he's going to come back. And, and they're sitting on the edge of their seats waiting in anticipation for his return. Just because it's been 2,000 some years doesn't mean we shouldn't be waiting with anticipation. That we shouldn't be on guard, ready, and, and, and waiting for him. It's the believers who are watching and ready for the Lord by living a holy life that will not be taken by surprise because they're constantly thinking about him and they're waiting for him with anticipation, with, with love. They can't wait to see his return. Look with me in verse 4 says, yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments and they will walk with me in white for they are worthy. One who conquers will be clothed us in white garments and I will never blot out his name of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Again, we see God's grace. We talked about this last week when you know, talk about the, the, the Jezebel person that was leading everybody astray. He, he gave her opportunities. He gave the church opportunity. He called them out and says, this is what I have against you and laid it out and, and then says, you got an opportunity to turn this around. You have a chance to make the right decision and follow me. 
we see this again here. There's a, there's a few people who didn't fall for this. There's a few people who stay steadfast. He says, hey, you guys who are going to stay with me and walk with me, this is what we'll do. We, we see this, this hope even at the end of the letter. The small minority of the people in the city who remain true to Christ and have avoided this sinful behavior that everybody else is getting wrapped up in. That maybe they can go and talk some sense into those folks who have been led astray doing whatever. But if not, then at least these folks will be dressed in white and they will walk with Jesus until the end. White garments like this typically symbolize purity in their deeds. That they would be walking with Christ and accept him the gift that he, that he gave when he gave up his life for them on the cross. The, the, that his righteousness will be counted towards their righteousness. That when God looks at them, when God looks at us, if we remain steadfast and faithful, that it's not our transgressions that he sees, but he sees the righteousness of Christ. That we are covered by the blood of Jesus. And because of that, get to spend forever and eternity with him. You know, just like Sardis, I just hope and pray there's a few here. I hope and pray there's a remnant or at least a small minority of people who remain steadfast and faithful to Christ in doing what he's called them to do. And this is, this is what breaks my heart. This is, as I'm, I'm studying this and I'm praying over it this week, uh, man, I'm weeping for each and every one of you that you would honestly and authentically love Christ in a way that it would show in your life that we would, not only that we would be able to see the fruit, but that, that you would be, just be on fire for him and let everything else fall where it may because you're focused on what's important. And that's Jesus and his calling on your life. I get, we're all busy. We all have stuff that is going on in our lives and we're trying to fit more and more. But the gift that God has given you, it will bring you through. To be able to use that, that gift for his glory. It reminds me of the parable of the talents. You know, where these guys were given talents and the, the first two used them uh, to, to multiply what the master had given them. But the last guy, he's like, well, I mean, I know you're a harsh master and he went and buried it in the yard. He didn't do nothing with it. And the master took his talents, and gave it to the others. Man, I would hate to squander what, what God has given to us. I know it's hard. I know it's challenging. I, I know there's, there's things that are pulling you in other directions, but what you do for Christ is important. It's important for you to walk out and take your next step in obedience, growing that o obedience muscle, 
so that when, when things continue to come in your life, you would have an easier time being obedient. But uh, above and beyond that, it's, it's beneficial for God's people. That people are being blessed because of your step in obedience. The things that you're doing for him. I would hate for that to be squandered. I think about uh, all the years I spent running from the Lord, running from his calling on my life. And I can't help but think, man, what if I had done what he's called me to do from the start? I wonder who could have been blessed because of him using me earlier, sooner. I know that everything happens in God, with God and his timing, and that he uh, does everything for, for the, the good of his people and his glory. But I can't help but wonder, like, all those people I came into contact with, I, I wonder what they missed out on because I didn't want to step up to God's call on my life. Whatever God has called you to, whatever gift he's given to you, I want, I want you to know and understand that it's not insignificant. That every gift matters. Everything that he's called you to do matters to the kingdom and it has an impact. Even when you're tired and weary, God will give you the strength and courage that you need. And I'm speaking from experience. You know, when I was called as pastor, one of, one of the things that um, I, man, I wrestled with for a while because I'm like, I don't have time. <laughs> I've got a full-time job and I've got a family and I've got other things. I don't know. I don't know how I can also shepherd a church. And I was reminded that God's strength would be made known through my weakness. And I don't know how it happens, but it does, that I'm able to, to spend some time with him in prayer and, and uh, be thinking about uh, what, what you all need to hear, how you need to be encouraged and equipped and uh, discipleship, uh, discipling other people and, and, and counseling and, and all these other things. I'm just, I just give it over to the Lord and he makes it happen. Sometimes I'm tired. Sometimes I struggle. We had men's breakfast yesterday, and it was hard to get out of bed yesterday. <laughs> to, to be honest with you, I was a little late. But God is he's so good, and he provides for his people. And I know that he's going to work all this, these things out in your life. And what we have to look forward to is our, our reward in heaven. I talked about how great it would be to see hundreds of people here in this room, but Imagine for a second what heaven's going to be. Imagine for a moment what that would look like to be with the Father forever and eternity in heaven. You won't be thinking about how tired you were, the long hours you had to work, the people that uh, said some unkind words to you. I imagine that you would just be so excited to be in the presence of the Lord that nothing else will matter. And I got to tell you, being obedient to him now, following after him now is worth it. 
It's worth the extra time. It's worth the extra energy. It's worth having the conversations you'd rather not have. It's all worth it in the end. 1 Peter 1 and 23, this is that you have all been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable, though through the living and abiding word of God. Those who stand firm are given this assurance of eternal life because their names will never be erased from the Lamb's book of life. This idea of blotting out names refers to a practice in ancient uh, Greek cities where uh, citizens who were condemned and put to death for a crime that they committed, they would have their names physically wiped from the city's registry as if they never existed. They were never there. They were never citizens. Here is a reference to God's judgment. And at the point that this letter was written, Sardis was in a deep coma. They were asleep. They, they may have been approaching death, but they were still in a place where they could hear Christ's command for them to wake up. You know, I remember when I was a kid and, you know, I might oversleep and sleep through my alarm and my mother would come in and say ever so gently, it's time to wake up. Vaughn, it's time to wake up. If I didn't budge, boy, get up. It's time to get up. Get out of that bed. This is what I see in, in, in Christ speaking to us, Christ speaking to Sardis. I mean, he's, he's lovingly tapped on us for a long time. But now, wake up. Wake up! There's still time for them. There's still time for us to work and to strengthen what is about to die. We need to remember and keep the message that the church received and all the things that we've heard, and we need to continue to pursue holiness. This holiness that, that flows from his grace. It's time for us to wake up. It's time for us to lay aside the woe is me and thinking about ourselves and put our eyes on Christ. Think about him. Brothers and sisters, there's still time for us. I just, I started talking about our 55 year history here at First Baptist Bolingbrook. We've seen some ebbs and flows and you know, from the, the charter members growing, you know, then there was a dip and then we saw another increase in the, the 1990s and then we saw more of a dip and, and, and then even more recently, we were, were on the upswing and then this, this pandemic came and now here we are today. There's time for us. We just need to wake up. We need to remember why God has placed us here and the work that he has for us to do. Wake up. Our pulse may be weak, but we're not dead yet. It is time to wake up. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, thank you for this reminder 
this swift and urgent reminder that we all need to hear. Thank you for loving us so much that you would give us that reminder, that you would uh, lovingly and gently uh, try to, to, to get us up and to focus on what you have. But even in a loud voice and, and, and a loud sound or whatever it takes, I, I thank you for loving us enough to, 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 to wake us up out of our slumber, to shake us alive. Thank you so much for your continued provision that even though we're not doing all that you called us to do, you have still been there every moment of every day. Lord, thank you. Help us not take this for granted. Help us to, to get out, ourselves out of the way so that your glory may be seen, that the name of Jesus would be made known, that people would have hope in this hopeless world, that they might be able to hear and know and experience the good news that is the gospel. Help us, Lord. Help us to live for you. Help us to remember what is vitally important. And it's not all the stuff that we have going on in our lives, but it is you. Help us to live as if we believe it. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.